off of a weekend that has seen a featherweight title change hands. A weekend that has seen Derek Chisora, hey, get a win in a heavyweight main event in England. We are ready to talk all about it. It is part of the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. We are back aboard. I am merely the host of the program, the man that you are here to hear from on this podcast is our insider, BigFightWeekend.com, and our uh, content partner, Dan Rayfield, is back. And uh, we did see a title change hands with Ray Vargas winning the WBC featherweight crown. We it was, we saw an action-packed card in San Antonio, Texas. We saw some good action from the heavyweights, Chisora and Kubrat Pulev in England. How are you as we come off the weekend? I'm doing excellent. It was a, it was a pretty good weekend for for some fights that were not the highest of profile, let's be honest. Uh, I think we all got our time and money's worth uh, watching what we watched. Uh, two, you know, the matchroom card as a whole, not very good, but an excellent main event. Showtime card, excellent top to bottom. I would agree with both of those assessments. A reminder, if you're just finding us through a social media link, uh, through bigfightweekend.com, through Dan's Substack, the Fight Freaks Unite Substack on substack.com. However you found us, easiest way to get our content is follow or subscribe on this podcast feed. It's the Big Fight Weekend fi uh, podcast feed. We preview things on Friday on this feed, usually out Friday morning, and then the recap is out late Sunday night or usually Monday morning. So again, on the recap podcast, you'll automatically get it without having to have a notification of any kind other than, hey, it's in a ding, a vibrate, a light, whatever. We got a new podcast up recapping the weekend. Bookends for the weekend with TJ and Dan recapping all of this. A uh, Another friendly reminder, too, we are also on the BetUS uh, TV platforms, including the BetUS uh, YouTube page, their social media, etc. Well done, my friend. You and I came up successful over and over again. Fridays at 1 Eastern going into the weekend, we take a gambling look, a more intensive gambling look at the fights for our friends at BetUS uh, that we're involved with. And we were all over, for example, the Brandon Figueroa knockout, the Vargas decision. You even hit a couple of the overs that you played. Bottom line, they need to be with us on Fridays. Free plug We're making their money, baby. Yes. We're making their money. If you, For example, if you simply made a $100 wager on what you laid out there and what I laid out there on every one of the bets, you would have been about plus 300 on you and about plus 200 on me, 250, something like that, just off of what we told you to wager on. Now, that's not enough to retire on, but it's better than some of the other advice that's that's going the other <laughs> way that's out there. We're just That's putting a pretty that good weekend, right? Yeah, not bad, not bad. All right, so anyway, BetUS TV. And the BetUS uh, TV YouTube platform is where we are on Fridays at 1 Eastern time. So I'm just pointing out that we did well with that. So without further delay, the Matchroom, we'll, we'll wait on the Matchroom show, uh, the uh, Showtime PBC show. Let's start with that chronologically because the most important fight was the world title fight uh, between a defending champion, first title defense of Mark Magsayo of the Philippines, against Ray Vargas, former 122-pound world champ, moving up to featherweight. Vargas gets the win, takes the title in the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. Uh, Dan, your thoughts, having now seen it all? First of all, I was very pleasantly surprised that it was a very good fight. You know, as we talked about in the preview, as also we talked about on the BetUS show, Ray Vargas, who's an excellent, skilled boxer, I take nothing away from him. He was 35-0 and 0 going into the fight. Now he's 36-0. and 0, And it's not 36-0 against a bunch of nobodies. He's actually got some wins against some credible opposition. 
but to be honest, his fights from a crowd uh, uh, entertainment standpoint are usually not the best. But this was a good fight. He, he really is a guy that is often fought with his range and his, and his height, using distance, fighting off the back foot, moving around. Uh, and, and it works for him, and I'm not knocking it. Uh, but for us as viewers and as fans and as, uh, you know, people that are paying uh, money for it or spending our time on it, not usually the most exciting thing. But he didn't really fight like that on Saturday night. He, he, he used some of it. Of course, those are his best skills. But he was more willing to stand and trade with Mag Sayo in the pocket and fight him straight up. Uh, and, he's, and he still was able to, to pretty much dominate the fight. He won a split decision. Um, I think it was close, but I don't think it was a fight where you could necessarily score it for Meg Sayo. Um, and, and even with the scores being close, TJ, as they were, he was in a situation where he was always in the lead. It's just that Meg Sayo had a good second half of the bout was sort of catching up, but never really got to the point where he get over the hump. Did score the knockdown. Let's get in into a, that because the yeah. fight turned right there in the ninth round. Meg Sayo scored a knockdown with a straight right hand, had him in some trouble, couldn't finish him, well, had a good – yeah, go ahead. D didn't try to finish him. That's right. the big thing. You know, matter of fact, on Sunday, I was talking with uh, Sean Gibbons from Pacquiao Promotions, who was uh, Meg Sayo's uh, promote. You know, Pacquiao Promotions is his promoter. Sean is the president of Pacquiao Promotions and is Meg Sayo's guy. And we, you know, uh, we were discussing the fight and, you know, they were sort of like, um, like kind of eating their heart out a little bit, knowing that he kind of had Ray in a lot of trouble. Uh, the knockdown occurred at the end of round nine. So he didn't really have a lot of chance to follow Correct. up, but it was very obvious that he was still not all together when the 10th round started. And I think, uh, as I said to Sean, when they go back and watch the video, uh, uh, th the whole team will regret that Nexio never really pressed the action to try to get it out in round 10, even though his legs were gone, he fell down, I think twice on what were ruled slips and, really let the moment get away from him where he could have had I him out. I thought Abner Mares put it well in the aftermath, who you recently talked to on the podcast. He said, Magsayo is going to look back on this and have nightmares for two reasons, that he didn't jab him enough, and two, why did he not push the issue in the 10th round and try to get him out? Now, interesting that he, on the official scorecards, Magsayo got a 10-8 round on all of the cards in the ninth round and on all of the cards won the 10th round. And at that point, the fight was dead even on two cards and he was winning on the third card. So now, uh, basically, it came down to the final two rounds and all three judges gave Vargas the 11th and the 12th to clinch the decision for him. So truly, the championship rounds delivered the win for Vargas in the end. Well, Vargas was the more experienced fighter. He's been in the ring with overall better opposition uh, throughout his career. And I really, that's another thing that Sean and I talked about, like what the difference is when you're splitting hairs at the highest level of the sport. The fact that Ray Vargas had been in um, you know, a half a dozen world championship fights and is 35 and 0, had fought overseas, had had been in a lot of situations where you got to learn how to deal with things. Um, he was more prepared for the moment than Magsayo was. It's not a knock on Magsayo. He just didn't have that level of experience. Uh, and uh, I'm assuming if he is, a, you know, a good study, a good student that that they'll, you never want to lose, of course, but he's going to learn a lot about himself and what he needs to do off of this loss. You know, I thought Freddie Roach in his corner was telling him the right stuff the same way uh, what was translated from Nacho Beristein telling uh, Ray Vargas was telling him the right things. 
you know, it was one of Ray's most crowd pleasing fights. It was one of his biggest victories. You know, he had, like you mentioned, he had been uh, the WBC champion in the junior featherweight division. He had taken uh, just the one fight at featherweight in the fall on the Canelo Kayla plant undercard after a long layoff, two plus years, uh, pandemic related, injury related, the promotion related, um, but he came back and he, you know, he took on uh, Leonardo Baez. He beat him easily in the, in the, in the comeback fight and then was set up for this mandatory. And, and uh, you know, he looked good. I mean, we, we both made the pick on, on, uh, on Vargas decision. Uh, as, as I've said a thousand times, skills pay the bills. He was the more skillful fighter, but he also had that deep well of experience to draw from. He's got a good chin to knock down, notwithstanding, which he admitted, uh, you know, he got me good there, although I wasn't too hurt. But the thing that I found to be uh, interesting was uh, the one judge who gave the fight to Meg Sayo. But even Meg Sayo didn't think that he won the fight. If you listen to his post-fight interview or go on YouTube and take a look at the news conference after the fight, he's like, look, Ray Vargas, you know, he was, I'm paraphrasing, he was the better guy. I give it up to him. He got the win. Good for him. You know, I'm going to come back and learn. But in other words, he wasn't in any way complaining or, or knocking the scoring. It was, a, it was a fair result. And it was a great victory for Ray Vargas. All right, a couple more quickly, and then I want to move on to Brandon Figueroa, who was in the co-feature, and that actually plays in here to what is next. Uh, Vargas said in the ring, I want Leo Santa Cruz, uh, which, you know, that would be an intriguing Mexican versus Mexican there. You've got some insight on that. Some would say, should we run that back, have a rematch? Do you want to see that? And then obviously because Figueroa won, which we're going to talk about in a second in the co-feature, he might be involved to fight Ray Vargas. What do you think happens? And, and maybe what would you like to see happen? Would you like to see a rematch, Vargas and Magsayo? Or what would you like I, to I see? I mean, then? I don't really think there's – I mean, you never say never. I mean, in terms of an immediate rematch, there's no reason in my mind. Yes, it was a split decision, but it should have been unanimous. Uh, yes, uh, Mark got the knockdown. But no one's – I mean, look, and not every, not every fight deserves a rematch. It was a mandatory fight, so there's no obligation on the behalf of the Vargas camp to give Magsayo a rematch. Um Again, it was a good fight, but it wasn't like fight of the year. So it's not like there's going to be some outpouring of of, uh, of fan and uh, media attention saying we need to see the rematch like you see happens sometimes when fights are so outstanding. So it was just a really good fight. And Ray Vargas was the rightful winner. Now, if they rematch down the road, I mean, you never know. But the bottom line is uh, Ray Vargas now has that title. And he said in his interview and in his post fight press conference, his next uh, goal is to unify the titles. And so if you take a look at the featherweight division, that means fighting either, you know, any of the other three title holders. Leo Santa Cruz has a WBA belt. Emmanuel Navarrete has the WBO belt. And you have the IBF belt that resides. Um, who is the IBF champion at featherweight? It's uh, off the top of my head. I'm, I'm like, oh, Josh Warrington has the IBF belt. So, you know, Navarrete's got a fight coming up on, e on one of the ESPN top-ranked shows. That's not a fight that's going to happen. Um you know, Josh Warrington, you know, he's in the matchroom, the zone universe, highly unlikely to happen. But Leo Santa Cruz is right there in the PBC mm -hmm. universe, fights on, uh, has fought many fights on Showtime, his biggest fights throughout his career. Uh, Australian make all fight. Now, of course, the monkey wrench in there is that the WBA, uh, as they've been doing over the last year, since last August, trying to trim uh, all these extraneous titles that they have sanctioned, uh, and they're ordering their regular champions to fight their super champions. So, Leo Santa Cruz is a super champion. And frankly, and I love Leo Santa Cruz. He's a, a, a terrific fighter and just a, a greatest kid guy in the world. You ever want to meet just the nicest person you could ever talk to. Uh, but he hasn't fought as a featherweight for like three years and right. they've allowed him to keep the title. It's ridiculous. 
It's ridiculous. And I love Santa Cruz too. You should know we've had him on this podcast previous to our relationship. We've had him on a couple of times. He's a great interview. We, we root for him. He certainly got plastered by Gervonta Davis in October of 2020, but he's fought since then. But I, I think the word he, is it's ridiculous. Okay, that he but here's the point, though. So he, he hasn't fought as a the, featherweight in three years, and they still got him as the champ. But they, he told them when he had his last fight, he was coming back off the long layoff, and he was going to defend the title. He gave them that their word, and they said, "Okay, fine." So they ordered Lee Wood coming off mm-hmm. his victory over Michael Conlon uh, to retain the second tier title. They ordered, as they've been doing in most of their weight classes, if you can, you know, they made a trip. It's not enough progress for my taste but they've made a lot of progress. So I'll give them a little bit of a credit for that. But here's the point. They ordered a couple of months ago, Leo Santa Cruz to defend against Lee Wood. That's an excellent fight. You know, if they can't work it out because they're on different platforms or different promoters, so be it. You, you go to a purse fit and may the best, uh, richest, lucrative offer win. And that's where you do the fight. Um, they haven't had the purse fit yet. They're, they're saying some nonsense about we're trying to figure out what the purse split is. That's a lot of bullshit because the purse splits have been pretty much, you know, right. uh, in, in this type of situation, they're laid out, but whatever. So here's the point. This is nothing against Ray Vargas, though. The WBA cannot allow Leo Santa Cruz to have a unification fight with Ray Vargas. If they do, you're going to see me go absolutely fucking wild on this podcast. Pardon my French. Right. So what they need to do is, is accelerate what's happening with uh, Santa Cruz against Lee Wood. If Lee Wood and Santa Cruz can't make a deal or Santa Cruz doesn't want to do a purse bid or he doesn't want to fight Lee Wood because he prefer to fight Ray Vargas, so be it. He can give up the WBA Vacate. title. Vacate. He can still fight Ray Vargas for the WBC belt. It's still an, an interesting fight. It's still a fight that I'm sure that PBC and Showtime would be interested to do. No problem. But you cannot have that as unification. So either what shit I, or get off the pot. I love it. What I love is you put that tweet out there on Sunday I don't think you use the crap or get off the pot line, but you put, and Lee Wood responded to you he and did. said, Dan, and said, damn straight. He is no, what he said was absolutely. Yes. What he wrote. And so he is wanting that fight. Let's see if that fight happens uh, next and how soon that fight happens next for all the reasons that you laid out for what happens with so Vargas. You asked my, you said, what do I think will happen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's entirely possible that in the end result, you'll see Leo Santa Cruz vacate the WBC title. And, and probably have a good chance of making the match with Ray Vargas, which is fine. That's a good matchup. I'm not, I have no quarrel with that. Uh, you just can't make it for unification because you cannot go back on what the WB has already ordered. They make it up as they go along. Quickly, Brandon Figueroa did win over Carlos Castro. He had him in trouble, had him down and in trouble in the third round against the veteran Castro, had the crowd roaring as we thought that he might, couldn't finish it. He had him along the ropes. And then Castro came on in the fourth and fifth round and was fighting better. Then Figueroa, fighting his first fight as a featherweight, former 122-pound world champion for the WBC, uh, he stomped on the accelerator again, trapped him on the ropes, and suddenly the fight is stopped. Dan, did you agree with the stoppage there in that scenario that I just laid out? I had no problem with that stoppage. Mark Nelson's one of the best referees in the world. He's been doing this 30 years. He's been in a million big time fights in terms of championships and eliminators and, you know, at the highest level of the sport. Uh, he said that that uh, this was what Showtime said. He told them was that that uh, Casho was not responding. Uh, if you watch the knockout, Casho did not complain about the, the stoppage. That's right. No one in his corner complained about the stoppage. Yeah, I mean, was it a punch or two? Could they have let it go maybe a tiny bit longer? I guess. But I have no I have no second guess in this one whatsoever. Uh, he was done. Brandon, as you said, he just turned on the accelerator. He flipped him around on the ropes and 
just unleashed. You know, I, I went back and counted. It was something like 15 unanswered shots, yes. most of which landed. Body I put shots. That on, and I put that on social rights. media, and the, la- and the last three or four of them were Brutal. definitely shots that should have stopped the fight. Yeah, when so you're that- not fighting back or clinching or doing something, I, again, am much bigger in a punch or two too early than him taking a shot, and yeah, now this we was got not, a stretcher in the ring. Yeah, This is not a controversial uh, stoppage in any way. This was just, uh, you know, uh, uh, Brandon Figueroa, uh, as you mentioned, the, the, the former champion in 122 pounds, coming off, by the way, that fantastic fight of the year candidate that took place, uh, you know, in November of last year against Stephen Fulton, where he lost a razor-close uh, majority decision and, uh, you know, uh, very well could have gotten that call and been the unified champion in that weight class. But nonetheless, he got the loss, moved up the featherweight, uh, and you know, he was just a, to me, the, just a better fighter, better technically, uh, faster, a heavier puncher and just had a little bit more in every category and it, and it showed, and, uh, he was able to get him out of there and it was a big win for him because this was a WBC title elimination fight. And so the winner of the fight, Castro or, or Figueroa is going to put himself in position to, to, he's not the mandatory yet, I guess but the WBC will make the winner of that fight, meaning figure out the mandatory eventually to be the mandatory for Ray Vargas. So if you can't get the Leo Santa Cruz fight, uh, Brandon Figueroa against Ray Vargas is a really good fight also uh, in that way. class. I mean, PBC and Showtime uh, put these two fights on the same card, obviously uh, yep. done so with the knowledge that there's a good chance that the two winners of the main event and the co-feature would square off at some point. So, uh, you know, putting the Santa Cruz fight to the side, um, in a featherweight division that does not have a lot of big time, big time matchups that, you know, have fans excited or, you know, media writing about or calling for anything like that, because uh, the champions are, they're all good quality, solid guys, but there's really no, I just don't see a lot of those matchups happening. And there's not like a huge demand or big money in those matchups. Probably the best ones that can get made though, are the ones that involve the PBC fighters who do fight each other, which is in Vargas and Figueroa fall into that category, you know, as well as Santa Cruz. So, uh, although I tell you what, though, TJ, the best fight of all of them, if you want to just make a good action fight, is Brandon Figueroa against Leo Santa Cruz. Yeah, that would be toe to toe. Because again, Fag- Figueroa has now shown this uh, in his last couple of fights. Uh, he doesn't need much more room than a bathtub, as I like to say. He's not <laughs> using the twenty by twenty or the eighteen by eighteen ring. He he's using. Uh, like inside the shower curtain, and that's it. So that would be fascinating with him in Santa Cruz. It would be fascinating if he could track Vargas down and make him fight that type of fight. Doubtful that it would be the whole fight, but that would be what Figueroa wants to do uh, to put you on the ropes and and keep you there and slug with you and be willing to take to give it back. So Brandon is Figueroa is, is a guy who, who is and should be a fan favorite because – He'll, he's his willingness to fight whoever is great. He's got a, a, a nice personality and he fights his rear end off. He throws a lot of punches. He's not afraid to get hit. He's got a pretty good chin, yep. it seems like to me. And uh, boy, has he got an inner. He's got just some, you know, he's in his 20s. I think he's going to be a little better at 126 pounds where it's not killing him so much to make the weight. And he's got some engine on him, man. He can just put it into that fourth gear and just let it hang out and, uh, and just just go balls to the wall for as long as it needs to he, get the guy out of there. He has a mentality. My father used to talk about all this uh, all the time because I never saw Rocky Marciano fight. I've seen, you know, like uh, YouTube highlights and you'll see some recaps of fights. But my father described it this way as an old time fight fan uh, from from back in the day when he was much younger. Marciano would take one to give you two or would even take two to give you two punches. We're talking about Figueroa seems to be that same kind of guy. I will take one from you if I can give you two. And I will even take two from you dangerously if I can give you two. No, there are those types of fighters. I mean, you know, in in, uh, 
you know, and, and obviously I wasn't around when Rocky Marciano was coming up, but you know, I always think of guys that are willing to do that are the, the, the great brawlers, the exciting Hagler, brawlers. Hagler, another one, Marvin Hagler, one. Yeah. you know, Arturo Gatti, Matthew mm-hmm. Saad Muhammad, mm-hmm. fighters like that, that were known to be in these great action fights uh, who had good chins, you know, like you said, uh, you know, I'll take two to land one. I'll take three to land one good one. And, and uh, Brandon Figueroa seems to have that now seems to have that kind of mentality. It's not the healthiest way to go about your career, but when you need to call on that reserve to get through a tough moment, it feels like he's the kind of guy that's got that. Love that. Give me a quick one here on Frank Martin. I want to move on to the matchroom card before we're done. And there's also a news item from Errol Spence being on the Showtime broadcast. Frank Martin, lightweight, up-and-coming fighter, did win, did win by knockout over his late replacement opponent. Quick thought, Dan. Listen, I think Frank Martin was one of the best prospects in boxing going into this fight. I have no reason to change my thought process. I thought when his original opponent, Ricardo Nunez, dropped out because of the visa issue and was unable to fight, they were able to put in Jackson Nunez, who was uh, training for some other fight, was close to weight, who was an extremely credible opponent, still, in my opinion, the best opponent that, that uh, even as a replacement, was Frank's best opponent. And, uh, you know, even though he had lost two in a row, one was a highly controversial decision to Roley Romero. Uh, where most people thought that Jackson Mourinho should have been the winner. And then the other loss was a knockout to Richard Comey, a former IBF title holder in the division, who was a tremendous puncher. Uh, so if there's such thing as forgivable losses, one where most people thought you won, and another one to, a, to an excellent puncher who was a former champion, th- those are forgivable, particularly when Frank has taken his biggest step up as a professional. Uh, Frank is, you know, he's at that point right now where he's a prospect, He's kind of like a, a, a young contender. He's in that tweener land where if you put him in with some of the other contenders, he'd probably, you know, win a lot of those fights. Um, he's just a great talent. He's trained by Derek James. He's in the camp with Errol Spence, who's also his promoter. And uh, look, he did a hell of a job. He, he took a few rounds to kind of figure Mourinho's out and just uh, kept the pressure on, kept the pressure on, and finally got him out of there in round 10 of a 10-round fight. And uh, didn't seem winded, never really seemed hurt. Never seemed like he was in any kind of, uh, you know, uncomfortable position, but he fought a real guy and uh, he's going places. You know, it's a, he, they fought the fight also. Again, this shows you the mentality. A lot of fighters would kind of moan about this or kind of not want to do it, but to accommodate uh, Mourinho's, uh, uh, who took the fight in eight days' notice, they contracted the fight at 138 pounds instead of at the 135 pound lightweight division, you know, just still a few pounds up. But most fighters don't want to give, give weight away to an opponent, particularly a guy with the experience level of a Jackson Mourinho is, but mm-hmm. Frank Martin, uh, by all accounts, never blinked about uh, giving up the extra weight to make the fight happen because he wanted to have the opportunity. Remember, Marie, uh, Frank Martin and and uh, Nunez, the original opponent, post a fight back in June on the undercard of the Charlo Seleski fight, which got postponed because of Charlo's injury. So he had already delayed this match. He didn't want to have to delay it again. Uh, he got in the ring, and look, the kid looked really good. And I just hope we see him back in the ring uh, and it's not, you know, six months off, get him back in, uh, you know, maybe even by October, uh, September, whatever, but he's going places. Trust me when I tell you that Frank Martin is going places. We'll be talking about this guy, you know, for the next several years. Love that. You've been touting him. Let's move on to what happened in London. Let's start with the main event. Derek Chisora did win. Did you want to did you want to get on the Errol Spence thing? Oh, yes. Before that, thank you for the prompt again. Spence was on the Showtime uh, broadcast talking to Jim Gray in between rounds. He was there attending, obviously, as a fan uh, and watching this in his state in Texas. 
And um, as Frank Martin's promoter also. And as Frank Martin's uh, guy and in the camp. All right. So Jim Gray uh, said to him, uh, give us an update. And he was kind of coy with all of it other than he wants it to be next. And so the Jim Gray pressed him a little bit and said, can you give us a win and a where? He says, I can't give you the win or the where, but I'm telling you, I want it to be next and it will be next. So there's, and a, this, there's so and, what do you think? And this year, this year, yeah. uh, listen, he's saying what everybody who follows or has done their own research on they're negotiating the fight. I've been in touch with the Crawford camp in recent days. Uh, and they say they're still negotiating the fight. Errol said the same thing. Look, and I've said this a million times. Anybody that knows me or has followed me or read me for any length of time knows I'm the most cynical guy in the room that I never believe any of this stuff until it's signed, sealed and delivered. I've had my heart broken too many times, uh, time and time again on these big fights. So I'm tempering my excitement. Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to lose their minds and get too, too pumped up and, you know, go on top of a building or anything like that if it doesn't happen. But being honest, it, it, you know, I've said uh, several times over the last few weeks, I'm cautiously optimistic. And here's why. They both want the fight. And that's always paramount. There's no reason that this should not happen. Now, one thing I learned a long time ago, TJ, in boxing, is you always try to figure out what's the, if something doesn't happen or something seems logical, why it doesn't happen. You, in, you're taught in life, not just boxing. There's usually a reason. Mm -hmm. One thing I've learned in boxing, though, is that sometimes people just do stupid shit. There doesn't <laughs> right. have to be a reason. They just do stupid shit. Now, I don't think that Terrence Crawford or Errol Spence are dumb people. I know that they are aware of what's going on in boxing. They understand what's in their division. These guys have been involved in big fights over the last several years. They understand it. There is no fight for Terrence Crawford that makes sense. Anybody going to give a damn about other than Errol Spence. Bingo. And Bingo. now that Errol Spence has all three of the titles that Terrence doesn't have, there's no fight out there for Crawford that people are going to really give a true damn about. Now, does that mean that people wouldn't show up or buy tickets or they could maybe get a license fee from one of the networks or even, you know, go on pay-per-view? But if they really want to make the kind of money they want to make and they have the legacy that they want to have and the glory that they want to have and the big event that they want to have, it, it, it's not like they got a, a, a menu to choose from five different guys. It's Crawford versus Spence, Spence versus Crawford or bust, period. That's what and, the fight and fans build want it to up, see. and they're going to make the biggest paydays of their collective careers. And there's so probably it comes going to down be a to rematch, and there's going to probably be a rematch where you make lucrative money again in the rematch. So it, what it comes down to, I don't think it comes down to are they going to fight or are they not going to fight. I think it comes down to, frankly, what is Terrence Crawford willing to take? What is his breaking point? And that's where they're negotiating. It's I think that Spence is in the fold. I don't think there's an issue. He's He's had no problems dealing with Al Heyman for all these years. He's had a number of major events. Uh, it, Spence is not, I'm not saying Crawford's a problem, but I think that everything is under control on the Spence side of things. It's going to come down to how can the Crawford people and Heyman come to an agreement that they can both live with in terms of not only the money, but what other things around the fight and what the futures are, whether there's there options, is. that type of thing. There, there it is. And before we move on to the matchroom thing uh, here in just a second with Chisora's win, please pick right back up on that point because one thing I have been told, and you're more plugged in than I am, but this makes sense, is that if Crawford is going to do at least a two-fight deal with Premier Boxing Champions, he wants the framework, all of it in place on what does he get in the rematch if he's the winner. He's wanting that negotiated, obviously, on the front end of what am I getting 
And I, am I getting the lion's share? I want the lion's share if I'm the winner in the rematch. And I believe the second fight terms may be holding this up, but that can probably be resolved. What's your thought to all yeah, of this? I don't know if it's that that's holding it up. What I do know is that one of the things that takes time and why these big mega fights are so complicated to make oftentimes is because the reality is often you're negotiating multiple fights right. you're not just negotiating terms for the big one you're negotiating what might happen uh in the scenarios that various scenarios in the next fight whether you win whether you lose uh you know what the splits are what the money is i mean so as i've said numerous times other than errol making the comment that he made to jim gray on showtime that's really sort of the first we've heard of any real so-called news on this fight in a while and i still will say uh, that as long as it's more quiet, the better it is for the fight to happen because it's when you see the fighters or their managers or their trainers or whoever, you know, out shooting their mouth off in interviews or making tweets or, you know, putting stuff up on Instagram or whatever, then you kind of get concerned. But there's been pretty much nothing coming out of either camp. Um, again, it's taking time and they've got time. That's also the beautiful thing. There's no gun to anybody's head. This fight is not uh, on. If it does happen, wouldn't be until the fall anyway. Probably November. I was going to say, and you got so, lots of dates in November and December to play with, right? To figure yeah, I don't out know where about it is. December. I mean, it, it's probably sooner than that. But here's the point, though: is we're here now in in the early part of July, uh, you know, heading to the mid part of July. There's still a, a little. There's still weeks left where they can still tweak everything, get it done. Um, and again, I will say just once again, I am cautiously optimistic, and uh, I believe that the fight will happen unless something wacky happens. I I think that Crawford and and Spence, they, they really understand the significance of it. And I, I understood why it hadn't. I was pissed off about it, but I understood why it didn't happen yet because from the Spence point of view, there was other things he could do that this was like the last, this was the big one at the end of the road. Not to say his career is over, but in terms of, you know, fully unifying the weight class. The, the only thing left in the division for either guy is, is the other man. And, uh, and let me tell you something, TJ, when this fight happens, it's going to be, it's going to be a spectacular fight in my opinion. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a great classic matchup. Uh, and one I, of the don't, best. I don't think it's an unfair uh, over-exaggeration that it's as meaningful in the present day. It's not Sugar Ray Leonard Thomas Hearns, but it is in that type of realm that these guys are both unbeaten. Everybody's been waiting for this fight for years, not just a little while. And so when it finally happens, I think there'll be some kind of anticipation similar, not not off the charts, because, again, boxing was much more mainstream popular sure. back in the late 70s, and the early 80s. Leonard was you, the gold you can't medalist, compare it. You, right? You, and, you can't compare the 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 mainstreamness yes. of this to Leonard and, yes. and Hearns, obviously. And by the way, when Leonard and Hearns fought, Sugar Ray Leonard already had a loss to Roberto Duran, but that's, that's one correct. of the all-time greats. So, yes, these guys are undefeated. Those guys are also in their early 20s. Crawford and Spence are now into their early to mid thirties. So, you know, I know that it's a different game now. Guys have much more longevity. Um, you know, Errol and Crawford, fortunately for them, have not taken a lot of punishment inside the ring. Obviously, uh, uh, Errol's had his issues outside the ring with the car accident and then the detached retina uh, that he had surgery on. But the point is, in terms of the magnitude for our present day, two black American welterweight champions to unify what's now four belts, back then it was two belts. There was a lot of similarities. Uh, they both have contrasting styles. I'm just so excited for this fight. I mean, again, I'm not getting too hyped up until I know it's done, but I'm telling you when it does happen, it's going to be a special night that night.
Looking forward to that. We do know what happened in the Matchroom main event earlier on Saturday as we uh, wrap up the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. We saw Derek Chisora get a win, a 12-round decision win over Kubrat Pulev. I thought Pulev might be able to stop him, even at 41 years of age. Uh, but Chisora, honestly, legs held up, looked like the fresher guy. Uh, Dan, give me your assessment here as he got the victory. We we led into this kind of half-jokingly here. This was not a world title contention fight. It's just a, a solid heavyweight main event there with a popular Chisora and a noteworthy opponent in Pulev. And it was not boring. It at least had some action. It did deliver at least some action in the fight. So your thoughts now in the recap on the Chisora win. I thought it was a very entertaining fight. I loved it. You know, you talk about how Chisora had uh, a little bit more. The thing about Derek Chisora is no matter when you watch him fight, it doesn't matter if it's round one or round 12, he always looks like he's freaking exhausted. And so, you know, he got into the middle of the rounds, middle, middle rounds of the fight against Pulev, who had been, you know, had his moments and uh, some big moments. And they're like, well, I'm not sure if he's going to stand up, but he always finds a way to get through it. And uh, look, it was a very, it was a much needed victory for Chisora, who had lost three fights in a row coming into this fight, granted against top guys, two, two fights uh, to Joseph Parker, former uh, title holder, also a, a loss to Alexander Usyk. Uh, before he uh, beat Anthony Joshua to win the titles. Uh, it was a hell of a fight. I mean, I, I thought it could have gone either way. I thought that Chisora did eke it out. I did see some people uh, thought that Pulev deserved the fight, but either how, way. How about, okay, we got one judge, seven, five eight, kind of fight. You, got, you got one judge, eight, four Pulev, and another judge, eight, four Chisora. So they saw it completely different. Yeah, I mean, that the same happens. Fight. Yeah, because that's, that's a swing of that's a couple wide. of rounds. That's wide, in a, though. In, in a fight where there's so much uh, landed punches and, and a lot of action, you know, it's not in any way in my mind. Let me put it to you this way. I don't know on your scoring. I did not have Pulev winning. I did not have him winning eight rounds. I thought seven, five. I mean, eight seemed to me ridiculous. He just didn't do enough. He hurt him with the uppercut one time in the seventh round, rocked him, stopped him in place for like a second or two. Couldn't do much more than that. I did not see eight rounds for Pulev. You You know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think Pulev won the fight either. I, matter of fact, uh, I was texting with, uh, with uh, John Word, who was the promoter for, uh, Pulev, who, who actually, you know, he's uh, up early, still on American time and had texted me, uh, you know, from from London, you know, asked me how I scored the fight. And, uh, you know, I was honest with him. I said, listen, your, your, your guy fought a good fight, but and it was a great fight to watch. But uh, I, you know, being honest, I thought that Chisora deserved the decision. He got it. And look, Derek has been on the has been on the losing end of, of some close calls over the years. So, you know, these things sort of have a tendency to even out. I'm not suggesting in any way it was a hometown decision because he's the London guy. He won the fight because he deserved to win the fight. And you know what, if you put your your uh, your time into watching that, as I said to you in the lead up, I know it's not for titles, it's not for big huge stakes, but you, you want a good sloppy slobber knocker, and that was a good <laughs> sloppy slobber knocker. It was a hell of a fight. Right. You like heavyweights? I, I I totally enjoyed that fight, and uh, Chisora lives to fight another day. He called out Deontay Wilder. Right, I was coming to that. Over. I'm coming to that. He said, "I want to fight a couple more times. I want the bronze bomber." Now, for the reasons that we both know, you've already articulated it on this podcast. It's not happening. I mean, Wilder's going to no, fight. I Wilder's going to fight for premier boxing champions. And I don't see Eddie Hearn saying to Derek Chisora, I'm just going to let you go fight him on PBC. I think, I think Derek is at the end of his career. I mean, go ahead. I don't think, I don't think Derek has a long-term contract with Matchroom. Maybe I'm wrong, but he has done fights with, with Matchroom uh, on a fight by fight basis at times. So, all right. And uh, you know, if there really was a, uh, a desire on the, on the Wilder camp, to get a guy like Chisora, which would be a very credible comeback fight for Deontay coming off of a layoff and a loss in the third fight with Tyson Fury and would certainly provide some excitement in my mind. Uh, I'd like to think that that nobody is going to stand in Derek Chisora's way to make that kind of payday. 
Um, I, I, I do think it's a long shot, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. It's not, we're not talking about, you know, making a fight with a, a you know, a Joshua or an Usyk or somebody that's, you know, a much bigger level guy that's, you know, tied to a particular broadcaster. I will just say, I think there's like a 5% chance it's wilder. I'll go like 95% again. So that being said, I give you... it more like a 20% chance. All right, fine. Uh, who do you, <laughs> who do you have? <laughs> okay, fine. You're so dismissive, my man. I'm dismissive on the fact that you are 80% against it and I'm 95% against it. So I'm coming to the next question. Who is it then that he would fight next later this year off the win? If it's not Wilder, what do you think? That's a good question. I mean, it's uh, Gillian listen. White again. No, they fought twice before. White beating by decision uh, and by knockout. No. Yeah, I don't. I don't see there being a real. Uh, listen again. You never say never. I just don't see there being any kind of big uh, demand for that fight. Not that there was a huge demand for the Pula fight, but Chisora is going to expect to get paid pretty well coming off that victory. Basically, go look at the go look down the top ten. My man, Ajit Kabayel. Well, we got to get that back around again. He fought Kabayel before too. Maybe well, not. that's the thing about Chisori. He's fought pretty much everybody. Fought. <laughs> he already fought Usyk. He already fought Pulev. He already fought Joe Parker twice. He already yeah. fought, you know, uh, Dillian Tyson White, Fury. Dillian White you know, twice. He's fought everybody. Um, so I'll give you it like this. So, for example, you have a fight between, uh, you know, I, I, it's not been 100% rescheduled yet. You have the uh, IBF eliminator between Philip Herjavec and uh, Zhang Zalai, which uh, they've had the, the, the purse bid for. It got postponed. You know, it hasn't been announced. My, my, uh, what, what the rumblings are in, in my in my reading the tea leaves, it feels like that's going to wind up on the Joshua um, Usyk two undercard. So if the winner of that fight is going to still be stuck in the mud waiting for a title shot, maybe that guy would fight Chisora. But I mean, basically, go look at any of the rankings of the organizations and, and look at the heavyweights who are you know of a solid nature. And anybody can fight him. They're not looking to pick and choose. Joe Joyce, Daniel Dubois, both controlled by rival promoter Frank Warren in England. Any chance that those two get together, he and Hearn? Because, again, that's the same thing. Different bedfellows there on either one of his fighters fighting Chisora. Probably Here, not. Here's the, here's the biggest issue. You and I do not know for 100% whether Matchroom has any futures with Chisora. That's very, very critical. Sure. If they do, then obviously it's an issue. If they don't, then it's probably conceivable that he could fight either of those guys. Make so a big we'll British fight. We'll see. All right. One the bottom more. line is this, TJ, Derek Chisora, uh, good win, exciting win. He's going to get another fight of some kind of note. And uh, and frankly, even Kubrat Pulev, even though he lost, um, that's only his third loss. The other two were in world championship fights. Um, you know, it's not like he's done either. He still showed he's got something in the tank and he but may be 41. 40, 41 he was taking a lot of punches. He clearly doesn't have a lot left on his punches. He's 41. And I'm concerned now. I mean, does he get in there with somebody that could really hurt him? If that's the case, can I say one more thing? And I want well, your Derek opinion, Chisora, by the way, has taken way more punishment than over the course of a career. All right, but can we say something about the referee, Marcus McDonald? This oh. is the same. This is the same guy, and I'll use the word clown. This is the same guy that was a clown show in the Josh Taylor, uh, Jack Catterall fight, injecting himself way too much in that fight, injecting himself over and over again, warning the fighters, almost making it about him in this Chisora Pulev fight. Can they not do better in the bigger fights than that guy? Who Listen, I've always, re- I've always been, that, Dan? to me, he's always been a guy that wants the attention on himself. Yes. And it's not just that he's constantly interfering in the fight. He likes to have conversations with these guys. Dude, shut the fuck up and let them fight. 
I agree. I mean, because it's not just once. It's like calling them together and lecturing them like they're in grade school. Like Listen, they're I understand wife they're, teaching elementary guys, school here in Florida. What is that? If there's, if there's guys making constant fouls or they right. just won't listen or, and you know, you have to, at some point lay down the law, you call a timeout, you call them together. Don't do that. I'm going to take, if you have to do that, I get it. Maybe once in a fight, it could even be twice. This guy's having conversations round after round after round, inserting himself nonstop. And can was, I tell you, and can I tell you at least uh, on the second cut on Pulev's forehead, that was clearly a clash of heads and you, lo- you yes, you love to use the phrase dereliction of duty, dereliction of duty. Why did he not separate the fighters, go get the cut looked at and say to everybody involved, that's an accidental clash of heads there that could stop the fight. What well, he didn't do any of that. He just well, it didn't it seem like he, I, he didn't I mean, notice. I don't know what, he, what is that? You certainly didn't see it on the broadcast, but to this moment, we still, at least I don't know. Did he call it a headbutt? Did he call he it a punch? You just don't, you didn't he know. Certainly, so. He certainly didn't stop the round and call it that and have him looked at it. It's a the gash. referees need to, if it's yeah. a headbutt and they see a cut, need to have a sign. You know, and if you kick a field goal in football, they go like this. It's good. <laughs> you know, in, in boxing, they need to go like this, you know, pound their head and say it's a headbutt, whatever. But he didn't do a good job. Marcus and- McDonald, we're singling him out. We've singled out judges. We've singled out other referees before. Well, they got to do better than that in England. Not my that favorite. There, he's there over and over and over again. On the undercard, we had more controversy. Real quick to wrap it up, uh, Madrimov and Soro tried to fight again after after a controversial TKO after the bell by Madrimov before. So they're fighting again in a junior limit, uh, junior middleweight eliminator situation, and and this one goes just a little over two rounds. But at the beginning of the third round, we got a clash of heads again. Here we go. Well, not and again. That was a, not a clash of heads in the first time around. I thought it was a clash of heads. On, no, no. The on, first on this fight on this fight. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about in the first fight. The reason it was stopped. I'm was saying because a he... clash of heads again, including the main event. What happened later? Oh, yeah, yeah. My yeah, bad. Gotcha. But we got a clash of heads here. They clearly call it that. Soros got a cut outside the eye, and it didn't look to me like his corner gave two cents. I'll clean it up about trying to stop that cut or have the fight continue. They didn't care. It's almost like they wanted it over. They wanted it to be a technical draw because they knew it wasn't the fourth round. I mean, as somebody pointed out on social media, the woman from the British Boxing Board of Control, the doctor, she did a better job of stopping the cut. She did a pretty good job stopping the cut with the towel. All right. uh, So all that being said, we get a nothing burger from that fight. It's a technical draw. Nobody wins. Please quickly recap. Well, first of all, it ticks me off that they call it a technical draw because these guys don't deserve a blemish on their record. I don't know why the Brits do it this way. If that fight was in uh, most jurisdictions in the United States, it'd have been a no contest. Okay. So it just their records would the stay distinct, the same. And, and the distinction would be it doesn't count. Doesn't matter like it didn't happen. But in Madrimov, you know, you got a young fighter who's undefeated. Now he's got a draw. Now it's not the biggest deal in the world, but it just it annoys me because mainly because there's no continuity. Uh, if that fight's in New York City or in Las Vegas or in California or any you know, a number of other many places we could cite, it would not have gone down as a technical draw. It would have been a no contest. Put that aside, you know, Madrimov was doing damage. He was going to stop him. He was beating him up. Uh, and I feel bad because he was going to win the first fight. And what happened was not his fault. The bell was not heard by him, the referee or the other fighter. And he stopped him and it was ruled uh, properly that they had to do a rematch because of the circumstances. So he was roped into the rematch. And now he's beating the crap out of him in the second fight. And they have the headbutt. And while it was a bad cut, when I went back and I re-looked at it, because of where it was on the outside of his eye, it wasn't going into his eye. And uh, and I agree with the folks that have said to me, 
that we've seen many, many cuts worse that have stopped fights than that. And next and level, that, do you agree with me? His own corner wasn't trying to work on the cut. When the doctor came over there, and all, they weren't even <laughs> trying. Yeah, it kind of seemed like that. So I would have liked to see them let it go a little longer. You know, you obviously want to make sure that the, that the cut is not going to be uh, a serious injury. But uh, let's get four rounds in if we can. And then if it's bad enough and you still want to stop the fight, at least we'll go to the scorecards and there'll Pulev's be a result. Pulev's cut over his left eye, which happened, what, like the third round and got worse, fourth or fifth round. It was much worse and bleeding in the eye. And they did a great job of stopping it in Pulev's corner later in the main event. Then they, and so I don't know what they're going to do because if they order a third fight between these guys, who the hell please, wants to? I mean, it's, please, I mean no, no one's going to want to see that. I mean, no Madrimov might just need to, like, go in a different direction. He's, a, he's an excellent young fighter. He's, you know, he doesn't need to be fighting in a WBA later. And by the way, even if he wins uh, and it's not stopped due to an, uh, a, a cut, now so great. He's the mandatory contender for the WBA title. The problem is Charlo, would, it's not a problem for us as fans because there's only one champion, which is a beautiful thing. But if you're the guy that's the mandatory, he's got a WBO mandatory stacked up, an IBF mandatory stacked up. They're coming before you anyway. That's a year probably or thereabouts. Um, so he should, uh, you know, and if he goes to another organization, oh, the end result is a Charlotte fight anyway. Bottom line is, you know, you're not getting a championship fight at junior middleweight for the time being because uh, the titles are all together. It may, you know, if he gets stripped or vacates or whatever, Majimov should just say, you know, I don't need any more Michelle Soro. Uh, it's not worth it. Nobody cares about it. I'm going to, I was kicking his ass in both fights. Let's move on to something else. Good enough. We will move on from here. To get ready for another week, a week that will include Ryan Garcia in a main event in a return to the ring for him, second time this year. We'll be talking about that more this week. Anything else here in the recap mode off the weekend, Dan Rayfield, before we're done? I guess besides Ryan Garcia, you're not excited for the big Jake Paul, Hasim Rockman Jr. press conference on that Tuesday? coming this week. Again, I still put it out there. We're about, what, three weeks away, and there could still be two, three, six more opponents for Jake Paul between now and August 6th with the musical chairs. How about John Fury breaking off uh, to the British media that Tommy Fury was 30 pounds overweight, and that was one it of the reasons why it wasn't going to happen. Fury, uh, Tommy Fury trying to dispute that, but whatever. We, we'll get to the Jake Paul stuff with Rachman. Um, by the way, I did go back, before we depart, I did go back and watch the Rachman mckenzie uh, morrison fight, Kenzie Morrison, the son of the late Tommy Morrison fight, and you talk about two guys in slow motion. Go back on YouTube and watch slow motion. Hasim Rahman Jr., Kinsey Morrison. So for whatever that's worth, maybe Rahman's going to train some here in the next two or three weeks, help the reflexes be sharper, be in better shape. I don't know. But that, uh, that to me looks like we like to say in the South, Dan Rayfield, ripe for the picking. Looks like ripe for the picking for a big atom bomb right hand from Jake Paul. Who knows? Who knows? It's We're going to find out. I mean, you know, well, it, there's going to be a lot of intrigue as that fight gets closer. I mean, I am looking forward to seeing Ryan Garcia back in the ring uh, on Saturday against Fortuna. Have your yep. Fortuna on uh, the zone broadcast. And, you know, the great thing about this weekend, it's again, it's because we're in the dead of the summer, not a big weekend overall. But no conflicts because you got the ESPN card is on Friday night this week with uh, Arnold Barboza against uh, Danilito Zaria, uh, which is Miguel Cotto's fighter. Uh, they're fighting in Temecula, California on Friday night. So one big, big, relatively speaking, you know, one main main show on Friday night. And then Saturday night, you got the Ryan Garcia. So one each day instead of having 
two, three shows stacked up. On and top bolted of Southern California. Shout out to SoCal because you get all yeah. the action this weekend for those fights, and we'll preview those a little later in the week. Are you done recapping? Are we good? I'm done. I'm done recapping. All right, we're good as well. Thank you for finding us. However you did so, social media link, etc. Follow or subscribe on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. We come your way off the weekend with Fight Freaks Unite. Read the site, bigfightweekend.com. And uh, as well, look forward to the Big Fight Weekend preview podcast later on the week. For now, we're good. For Dan Rayfield, I am merely TJ Reeves on Fight Freaks Unite.